Hi guys, welcome back to The Breakdown. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been a bit of a break here. We had some technical difficulties last week, so we didn't get you anything. However, we'll try our best to make up this week. This week's a bit of a special episode, actually. It involves a conversation I had with some students in the Delhi University a few weeks ago, actually, before the election even began. And I talked to these first-time voters from DU about their views on the current political situation as well as some of the most important issues in our democracy. So it should be sort of an easy listen for you and I hope you enjoy it. Also, I'll give you a forewarning since it was Delhi and I know how chaotic it is like a political situation. There is a bit of traffic in the background. I imagine most of you are used to that anyway. Enjoy. Today I'm joined by four of the brightest minds at the University of Delhi. I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, I'm Purvi and I'm studying at St. Stephen's College. I'm majoring in economics and uh, I'm a resident of Delhi and I'll be voting this year for the first time. I'm Nikita Dennis-Joseph. I'm from the same college doing the BA program and my combinations include economics and political science. I'm basically a Chennaiite and I've come here to study. Uh, my name is Arita. Um, I'm from Goa, studying in Delhi at St. Stephen's College. I'm studying political science and economics. I'm Devak Namthari. I'm from Bhopal and I'm also in the same college, studying the same course. I want to start with two disclaimers on this discussion, obviously, because, you know, this doesn't really represent the views of the youth around the country. In very different circumstances, obviously, we are speaking from a, so to say, a point of privilege in Delhi. And, you know, there's various small, smaller constituencies around the, the country which would probably mirror different views from this discussion. So uh, what I'm trying to get a feel of is, you know, what's the sort of sentiment of the student body here in, at the Delhi University? And hopefully, hopefully some of you can sort of go beyond your own views and relay that back to me. So because you spoke last in your introduction, they were, why don't you start and, you know, I'll, we'll again do the runs. What comes to your mind when I say the 2019 election and the fact that you, as an adult citizen of this country, would be voting for the first time? I believe the word would be chaos because, I mean, just look at our news channels. At 9pm every night, they're literally on fire. You have one maniac screaming, if not Modi, who? And I don't think the media is that representative of the opinion right now. There's just a lot of propaganda going around. If you look at what parameters this election is being fought on, it's not being fought on on issues per se. It's not being fought on on uh, how the economy has performed. It's not being fought on on the foreign policy. It's being fought on populism. It's been bought for a face, a person. In this election, I think there's a lot of lack of opposition. And that's why as a first time voter, personally, I am in a dilemma. I don't know which side to go for because there's just too many shortcomings on both sides. It's kind of a perplexing situation. But as perplexing as it is, I think it's one of the most important elections we'll face. I don't know if it's because we were a first-time voter and, and the last election we were pretty young, but it's important in the sense that we've seen what's transpired over the past five years and we can see how things have like really gone wrong, whether it's been demonetization or GST or the fact that like farmers go on the streets every every month now, the fact that like in Delhi University itself we see students like protesting almost every week, various things is going wrong. 
I think it makes this election so much more important um, and it, it's so decisive in terms of who will actually come to power. So I, I feel like, I don't feel like it's an option not to vote. I feel like it's really important whether I'll, I might have to go back to Goa and vote, but I think it's extremely important this time around at least. So while I understand, you know, how important it is to vote, right, I go back and think, who should I vote for? And there again, like, there is a, you know, lack of choice for me, right? So I have to choose between maybe the BJP or the Congress because they are the two dominant parties. But I do, I, do I really want to vote for them? Maybe not. Maybe it's just to push the existing party out of power, right? So I think the whole problem is that there's a lack of leadership. When I look at a leader, you know, I want to be able to relate to that leader. And at this point, I'm just like not very happy with both available options. And the reason why this choice is so important is also because of the fact that for the past many years, before 2014, we've had coalition governments. And in 2014, one party came to power and a party which could form the majority, which could elect, elect its own leader in the Lok Sabha without the help of other parties, without the different parties coming together, which made the process of choosing the leader pretty unilateral. So the leader need not be representative of all the different views and opinions and the interests of different groups. And if that is repeated in 2019 in the upcoming elections, then it can actually hurt the secular fabric. It can hurt the spirit of the representative democracy a lot. Exactly and why I don't think that this choice between BJP and Congress, I don't think we need to restrict ourselves to that. Like I don't see why independent candidates or like smaller factions like there are like can there are farmers from Tamil Nadu who are going to contest in Varanasi there are like really small parties across the country and I don't think I feel like we're not taking them as seriously as we should be because we have this idea of you know like really strong governments at the center and I don't see why given how diverse our country is why is a coalition government a bad idea I think I think it's something to do with the yeah. fact that even though India is supposed to be a quasi-federal structure, it is becoming more unitary by the day. Like the center yeah. is dominating. It's acting, it's, there's a lot of like a big brotherly treatment towards the states now. If there's a contrast between the central government and the state government, you <coughs> do expect a lot of conflicts. You do expect a lot of hurdles in governance. So when we did political science in grade nine, I remember we studied about the different party systems right. and we put the US and the UK under bi-party systems mm -hmm. and India came under the multi-party system. That right. We have different parties and all of them. So we've seen Janta yeah. Party coming to power. It's not always been the narrative around Congress and BJP. But now when we talk of elections, we only have two choices, Congress and G BJP. Yeah. So this is quite unfair to us as a generation because yeah. we, were not, we were not being presented with that sort of a choice which yeah. the Previous generations had. So let me just see a little bit of control here. So in North India, it's quite clear, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the Hindi Belt states. For example, in Madhya Pradesh, uh, it's pretty clear. Uh, you know, Congress won elections in November in Madhya Pradesh, mm -hmm. in Rajasthan, and in Chhattisgarh. And in those places, it's quite a binary competition. In the South, however, you know, neither the BJP or the Congress really have a shot at winning some of these places. Even in, in Bengal, for example, where, you know, the left is going to be a force to be reckoned with. You know, you have the Trinamool Congress, you know, the, the ruling political party in West Bengal, which is... So, there are a lot of political parties around the country and across the map, which are going to try to make an influence and probably have a big say in who comes to power. But uh, I personally believe, like, the picture might be a different one from 2014 in the South in particular now yeah. because there are a lot of huge changes now. Yeah. You don't have a Jalalita anymore. You don't have a... So 
like the AIADMK leader also he also yeah. passed away so like there's a kind of vacuum also and you have the entire Sabrimala issue if you talk about Kerala in particular uh, I will correct Devak Damdar it's the DMK leader DMK who passed away yeah. yes so there's a lot of things that have changed in uh, there also and if you talk about Kerala in particular also BJP has also gained a lot of traction on the stances they took around the Sabrimala issue also so I think 2019 has a lot of potential also painting a different picture when it comes to South India except like since i'm from chennai and like i've seen the kind of you know so there's a lot of uh, tamil nationalism there right like people are very uh, keen on having uh, their own leaders so i'm not very sure like especially since modi or rahul gandhi they are the faces of right. these dominant parties right i don't think it really resonates with the people there because there's still a stalin and you know they have their own local celebrities yeah. who are now you know yeah. trying to enter politics and as far as I have seen from my experience I think it's still a little difficult for you know these already existing dominant central parties to actually come in influence at least a state like Tamil Nadu. Um, so one thing seems to be in consensus over here that none of you are in favor of sort of saying bringing the existing administration back into power. Help me understand why you don't share their views or rather why don't why do you not share some of the values that they uphold? Any one of you can start. um i start because in 2014 um i i didn't vote then but from what the bjp government presented i was quite a fan um i was a i was a young student then and it seemed like congress had just screwed up and it, they had a solid plan they had a solid right. economic plan and i remember my parents and my i come from from goa where there's a sizable christian community and my all my parents would say is that you know like bjp will be the end of like minority communities and um things like that and that's not something i bought into at that time and i was you know they have a solid economic plan and that's the way we should go but even even if we are to even if you are to put aside the whole secular um politics that and the religious politics that come into play just look at what has happened economically in our country um just look at like the employment rates in our country look at like the informal sector the marginalized communities you realize that nothing has really worked out very well and over the past year um like since i've come to delhi uh, i've i've been pretty pretty involved in student politics here especially uh, in on representing like women in delhi university and i see the government has worked strategically against them in terms of like just recently they've put a bar on protest in delhi university so just hampering dissent at every level is is a starting point that that makes me really angry when i think about i i completely agree with that and i also believe that personally what makes me so against the bjp is the the tear in the secular fabric of india basically the kind of treatment that uh, allows for hindutva of aggressive nationalism kind of hindutva prevail in the country because such people such mobs who murder people who are trading in beef who are who who believe that there's someone up there who's protecting such behavior who's condoning such criminal acts so i believe that is something that i'm uh, very against and i think even in 2014 i believe uh, bjp is some is very the entire election is very narrative driven they have a particular narrative and it's spot on that narrative and if you look at that pattern like as a history student i observe that if you look at the nazi regime if you look at mussolini all hitler mussolini both of them were elected on the same grounds that i you pick a government blame everything on them all the short like everything that's going wrong in the country you pin it on them 
and you just say that I'm going to bring back the glory, I'm going to bring back the glory of the country. Vote for me. That kind of narrative, it's very easy for people to buy into, but it doesn't necessarily always pan out. You know, we will all agree. You know, no matter how some of us think the situation is, um, India has been a very stable democracy over the last seven years, and you know that is a success of a country. Um, when you look at the region, it's it's not a very peaceful region. Uh, we had a, a bloody civil war in Sri Lanka not so long ago. Pakistan obviously has its troubles all the time, and then as Bangladesh who uh, is free thanks to the the Indian government, you know India has been an example for peace, if anything, in South Asia. Do you guys, do you not think that Indian institutions are good enough to replace these governments in a peaceful manner and not be toiled around with? Um. That can only happen if we allow the institutions to work in the way they're supposed to work. If you look at the past few years and what has happened, the autonomy of various institutions is being questioned. You look at what has happened to the RBI, what is happening to the institutes which uh, publish the statistical data, right? Also, democracy... Sorry, I, I'll stop you there because this is called the breakdown. Explain to our listeners what is happening to the RBI? Okay, so so it, the RBI we see in the past three, uh, four years, four to five years, two of our eminent economists who were the RBI governors have who stepped. Were? Yeah, Urjit Patel and Raghuram Rajan, they have stepped. They have stepped stepped down, and the main reason which comes out of this entire narrative is because the government was not allowing these institutions to work the way in which they were supposed to, to work in autonomous. Not officially, of course, but like the narrative which uh, we've seen. Also, the fact that democracies thrive on negotiation. And this is this is proper data that in the past five years, the prime minister has not held even a single public co- uh, media conference. Right. Right. So it's mostly the prime minister speaking to us. It's mostly through Manki Baat and various other programs. It's mostly the Prime Minister replying to the questions to which he wants to reply to, right? Because they're all curated by... Uh, if you see any of the public events at which we have the Prime Minister speaking, they have their own anchors who will sort of take the questions and then ask the Prime Minister. So the, the, the events which I have seen being aired on the television. So if the Prime Minister is not willing to address the media directly, then it sort of raises questions about the kind of work which the government is engaged Sorry, just to push on that a little bit, and you know, I'll allow some of the other people to come in on this. Uh, one of the justifications which is cited uh, by the government in the Prime Minister not holding uh, press conferences, I believe he held one when he was in Washington, D.C., along with the President of the United States. Um, and that doesn't he, really and, count. And, and he held an interview uh, with some question and answers, I believe, in London. Uh, one of the reasons that they cite for the Prime Minister doing things like monkey bath and other sort of interactions is that the narrative is that he likes to speak directly to the people. What do you say to that? Yeah, but he needs to listen to the people as well, right? Right, right. And just sort of questioning the Prime Minister, questioning him about his policies and views would, I think, make him more accountable to people. One more um, yeah. you know, concern is the whole um, idea of like censorship and like, uh, having to face backlash when you criticize the government, right? So even now when you maybe tweet something about the government or post something about the government or whatever, you are like inherently maybe a little scared as to what might happen. And I think that in itself shows the kind of the authoritarian, you know, nature of the existing government. And I think that's like, quite an issue. And Which is why when we yeah. see if, if India as a democracy has been successful, I think it's largely because of these coalition governments. 
and why it's scary now is that it seems to be like a trend like with the US and Russia moving with these creating these authoritarian mm-hmm. leaders and what if like Modi is that next and what if like the next BJP figure that is put up is also an authoritarian leader like you see a complete breakdown of transparency a complete breakdown of accountability you know to bring back the question on media how satisfied are you as you and how satisfied are you uh, as citizens of this country with the sort of discourse that you're surrounded by do you really buy into it do you really understand all the issues that are around you confidently i think uh, the media right now right so like most uh, media channels they are either supporting one party or the other it's it's very clear with the way they report their facts in the newspapers etc which so let's say like i'm a person who is following a paper that may be supposed to be bjp i'm constantly fed with the same kind of information and i think that's very like it's not okay because you know as a as a media company your job is to like give us facts not opinions exclusively right and we need opinions if they are given from both sides from every side basically and i think that's some thing that's lacking in the media right now which is that they don't give us a very balanced view of issues one is that it's clearly colored and the second is that all these media houses come out of delhi and so you can see by the kind of reporting that delhi centric issues come up so what's happening in like when the kerala floods were happening like it took a really long time for that to actually come to like national news so a lot of localized issues which will be important in this election and not things that we read about and i think that is a huge matter of concern i i believe that the media houses that do give us the kind of thing we things we desire out of media house like facts from fa- pure facts and opinions from both sides they're very few in nature like in quantity i think and uh, they're not that accessible by the masses so what that leads to is uh, only a very microscopic uh, major, like minority of people like the intelligentsia or the academia who uh, actually know about these issues and can talk about these issues whereas people at the end mass level they're just buying into narratives so like it's very easy to sway people right. currently because of the way media is reporting right also the fact that uh, the way we dissent or which side we support is being in, it, it, it's sort of mixing with the identity of being an indian so like what defines you as an indian and certain narrative is being fed into us that if you do this this and this then you are an indian and if you choose to not do it giving valid reasons then you sort of don't belong to your own nation or so 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 this is something really dangerous because what defines me as an indian should not be based upon certain things which i choose to do or choose to like stay away from like this issue of nationalism is something that has like come up in the past five years yeah. I mean I don't think like anyone's had to grapple with so much just like that constant questioning of your nationalism nationalism has suddenly become this issue And with that I'd like to thank Nikita Avita Devak and Purvi for their involvement on this episode it was a really fruitful discussion with them and what was not disclosed was that we did go for a great feast of butter chicken and paneer for purvi who's vegetarian after i want to conclude by just sort of rallying the thoughts that we had through this episode all the four guests i had on the podcast kind of relate the same sort of worries about a democracy to me i think at the bottom of it was the sort of independence of institutions that we have in our country or lack thereof and this also includes the civil society institution of the media 
which we see increasingly coming under fire or being compromised. But also institutions of the government and some institutions that we haven't even spoken about, like the judiciary and parts of the bureaucracy as well. And these are really things to ponder while we go vote in the next few phases of these really important elections. However, I want to end by saying that everyone has a different barometer when it comes to voting in elections. Some people like to vote on basis of personality, where you look at candidates who have a chance of coming back into power, be it Prime Minister Narendra Modi or the challenger Rahul Gandhi or the challenger Mayawati or the challenger Mamta Banerjee. You know, you look at these personalities and you make your decision on the basis of that. Some people, perhaps a smaller cross-section, would want to look at specific issues on the basis of which they would vote issues that would affect them, issues regarding the economy or the agrarian sector or some other sector which affects them. And a third cross-section, perhaps a larger one, would vote on the basis of ideology and the sort of ideas that political parties have for India. The correct answer is not in either of these three ideas, it's in a culmination of these ideas. And I'm giving you a hard task while I ask you to make a decision which is a cumulative effort of these three big things, personality, ideology, and issues. Once again, thank you so much for joining me on The Breakdown, and I'll see you very soon indeed.